0: From Don Draper's Whiskey Glass, it's the IGN DigiGuys. And now, please welcome two men who were rejected for Project Mayhem, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Well, that was an obscure reference. I think one of the the more obscure recent ones. Uh, Corey, to whom do we owe that pleasure? That funny... (laughs) It was written by Jason Croons. He's making soap and making jokes. I don't know what that means. I don't
1: know what Project Mayhem is. What is that? <laughs> is, is that a movie that was relevant at the time that was written but is now completely forgotten?
0: I, 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 we have to, we'll have to get back to you on that.
1: <laughs> exactly. You, you realize we're about to get a bunch of uh, emails at gods at digigods.com explaining what Project Mayhem.
0: And meanwhile, we also have a uh, more listener mail that we're going to read today. Uh, and uh, we also have— uh, Oh, Fox. that's
1: Fight Club, from Fight Club. That's right, yeah.
0: And we also have uh, VoxBox. So uh, two, two weeks in a row. We, we we're backing up on some Vox, vox boxes as well. Vox by we, should we call them Vox by? No,
1: we love getting Vox boxes because it involves uh, voices other than our own. So yeah. for thirty precious seconds, wait, what are you eating?
0: I'm eating that chocolate you gave me. That I did. What is it? Godiva? What is this? No, no, it's Ghirardelli chocolate. Sure. It's, I, I made What's more wrong? of those? What's I made more of those
1: it? cookies. No, I made more of those cookies, uh-huh. and that was the leftover chocolate. And I'm going to Chicago this weekend oh. for uh, Blues Fest.
0: You're me the and so
1: I'm. Give, I I I don't want it in the house. I'm leaving for a weekend. So just eat it. Take it with it's you. Not like I don't meat. want it, huh? It's not like meat. It doesn't go bad. It's chocolate. I, you know what I have? So you know what I have? I literally have like a cup of ganache, just like that chocolate melted mixed with heavy cream. Mm-hmm. I have a, I have like a cup of that in a Tupperware, a, you know, a Tupperware thing in my refrigerator.
0: What would happen if you took that ganache? Put it is, beto- th- this, I mean, this is going
1: to be stupid, isn't it?
0: If you took that ganache and you made a sandwich with a nosh on one side and a kanish on the other, it would be a kanish nosh ganache sandwich.
1: You know, actually, I'll just pretend that didn't happen. Um, okay. That uh, chocolate tastes very good with bread. I <laughs> a piece. Of, I, uh, I, what, I, like, I, as, as in Nutella? Yeah, it's like it's it's, it's, become like,
0: a, it's become a cooking show. It really has. I know, it's terrible. All, right. all right,
1: who cares? By the way, can I just say that? Uh, b- b- before we uh, move on, we talk about uh, E.T. True.
0: E.T. coming out on Blu-ray.
1: E.T. is coming out on Blu-ray.
0: Yeah, and, finally, uh, end of the year, October. No, yeah. da- no date yet. Just e. October, undated. You I don't know what? Get
1: that. Here's here's what we have coming up in the next. Uh, and uh, now these are all obviously announced. But let us just say this: is what we got coming up? We got E.T.
0: Mm-hmm. We got
1: the James Bond box set. Yeah, which is going to be insanity. We have the Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah. Although season one, I, I, I'm not, I was not a fan of season one. Um, but you know what? And by the way, you realize that, that the Prometheus Blu-ray yeah. is available for pre-order now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Wade and I saw Prometheus.
0: We did. We did see Prometheus. Disappointing. <laughs> I hate to say it.
1: No, No. you know what? Um, it. It's a type of movie where you will sit there and go, oh, that was fine. There was like space people and monsters and look cool and stuff was happening. Yeah. But but on that on that higher level that you're hoping Ridley Scott delivers, that 2001 Solaris level that he set you up for in the first act and then completely ruined?
0: No. Yeah. D- Damon Lindelof, king of the T's uh, and no payoff. This is how it is. Okay, well, we're going to jump right into it as we've got a lot to cover this week. Uh, first off is really an amazing t- television box set from Music Box Films. I'm just stunned that this has actually made it out. Uh, this is a whopping boxed set of Henning Mankel's Wallander Which is a Swedish crime series And uh, it's it's really awesome, just wicked cool um, The It's all subtitled in English, mind you Just warning everybody about that But I think the reason that this is coming out Is because Music Box uh, released the uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo series The original uh, trilogy in Swedish Which I have and uh, these are the same producers, and I believe they probably cut some kind of a deal. Anyway, there's a Wallander film opening up this week in limited release in some cities. And uh, this is coming out uh, around the same time, so it seems to me to be somewhat coordinated, at least for, you know, small market cross-pollination. But uh, this includes uh, a whole bunch of... And basically what Wallander is, it's a, it's a detective crime series and uh, it's really very cool. It's on par with all of those great uh, inspector fill-in-the-blank shows from uh, the U.K. And, uh, you know, Kurt Wallander is the uh, the detective here, and uh, he solves friggin' mysteries, you know. Uh, but it's really good. It's really intelligent, very brooding, very extremely well-acted. Uh, this guy, Christer Henriksen, who plays uh, Wallander, is just great. He's just one of those gravel-faced kind of uh, Scandinavian actors that we've seen in, you know, Ingmar Bergman movies for decades, and it's just, he's just really good. So, anyway, this is a this is a big whopping box set, and uh, I would say definitely check it out. If you like that kind of detective filmmaking and that detective television stuff, you're going to dig it. It's really, really cool.
1: By the way, can I, can I just say one more thing about the whole Lindelof thing? Yeah. So... One of the complaints that Wade and I have about the film, and we're not giving any any spoilers. And in fact, we can't give away spoilers because so much goes unexplained. Yeah. And that's part of the issue, where in the first act, they set up all these intriguing questions about mankind and then pay, pay none of them off. Yeah. And there was an interesting – I just looked this up because uh, I couldn't remember the exact quote. There was an interesting quote from Lindelof where he said – this is his quote. He was being quoted in uh, BleedingCool.com. mm mm-hmm. uh, he says I think that one man's loose ends are another man's ambiguity and I think that Ridley was very interested in ambiguity. There were drafts that were more explicitly spelled out. I think Ridley's instinct kept being to pull back and I would say Ridley, I'm still eating crap a year after Lost is over for all the things we didn't directly spell out, are you sure you want to do this? And he said, I would rather have people fighting about it that uh, I would rather have people fighting about it and not know than spell it out.
0: I'm fine with that.
1: So it may not be the, it may not be Lindelof's fault. I,
0: I'm 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 fine. No, I'm fine with that. But my, my problem is is that it that it it doesn't rem, it doesn't maintain that high minded sensibility throughout. It becomes just another stupid monster movie at the end. I mean, it goes into some really it, you know it, it, it answers the questions that it asks in a really unspectacular kind of lame way. I mean, where it goes to, it, it's setting you up for something rather profound, and it doesn't go into a profound place. It goes into a completely predictable place. You know.
1: Uh, so. I would not disagree with that.
0: Anyway, also on the detective uh, front is season two on Blu-ray of Sherlock with Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman. The uh, kind Ooh, of Benedict
1: uh, Cumberbatch, you know who he is?
0: Mister and Mrs. Cumberbatch's children
1: <laughs> child. He's the villain of Star Trek Two. Oh, J.J. Yeah. Star Trek Two.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, big deal. Anyway, uh, now this is the uh, the revisionist, somewhat revisionist Sherlock Holmes television show from the UK. And uh, Which I actually ultimately like a lot better than the uh, Robert Downey Jr. and uh, Guy Ritchie movies that are have completely run aground with that last horrible sequel. But uh, this is actually pretty sharp, and um, season two runs a little bit more threadbare than I think season one did, but that's just me being picky. Um, I, I really like this show. I think it's, it's sharp, and I think it's well-written and nicely executed, and really good casting. Martin Freeman especially, very, very good, so... A uh, big thumb up from me for Sherlock Season 2 on Blu-ray from BBC.
1: Uh, Wade, uh, South Park just keeps going and going and going and going. And you know what? Actually, uh, South Park Season 15 uh, features a very interesting featurette called Six Days to Air. Mm-hmm. Now, a friend of mine, kind of a friend of a friend, has been an editor on South Park for many years.
0: Yeah, they make them in like 18 seconds.
1: They, they, it, it's six days. Yeah. And the thing is that, uh, what my friend, my, the, the reason why my friend loves this gig more than anything is mm-hmm. because obviously it's very exciting, but also once Matt and Trey find an editor who knows how they work because yeah. it's so specific and pressure packed, they want to keep those guys around because it is a very, very specific and difficult way of working. So once they find an editor who gets it, they want to keep them around. They keep them around so much that when the show is not in production – which is, you know, half the year. Yeah, they get paid anyway. Wow. The editors get paid full salary for like half the year to not work because so to keep them available to, to so that when they do work, there is no learning curve. So they jump right back into it and they do an episode in six days.
0: Kind of like all the people who were working on uh, Men in Black Three. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh,
1: anyway, a complete fifteenth uh, season. This was a funny season. I I, I did uh, I did like the one about um, where uh, 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 carbon. Once uh, an once an iPad, and like Kyle is chased through. If he Kyle's like chased through town by like these Apple employees, you know. Because uh, you know it, it's it's funny stuff. Awesome. But I like that one. Um, there's a couple. Of, uh, Stan's tenth birthday party is also a funny one. Uh, it's good stuff. And wow, uh, again, they're,
0: they're finally aging. I know. You <laughs> imagine that he's ten.
1: Um, no, this is a good season.
0: He and, turns ten after 15 seasons. Something wrong with that.
1: The thing with the show is that is that even after all these years because again it takes so it takes so hard it's it's so pressure packed to come up with one of these yeah. the, the show does sort of have that sort of energy and edginess just in its dna you can just feel the you, you just feel them rushing to get this thing to to air yeah you know this is not it doesn't feel like a lazy production so that's uh, south park the complete 15 season which i have to say that i uh, i recommend now wade uh, here's what i don't recommend yeah there's a show on uh, Disney Channel called My Babysitter's a Vampire. <laughs> and how come every time we talk about uh, a Canadian show that winds up getting picked up by like an American yeah. network, like FX or something, why are all these Canadian shows terrible? I don't know. They, re- I, I just, they really are. They're I'm all blame terrible. Blame Canada. Huh? Uh, you know what? Robin Williams will blame Canada. Yeah.
0: Speaking of. Anyway,
1: if I may finish because oh, you're not nice. paying attention. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Uh, my Babysitters Are Vampires from uh, Disney Channel. It's a uh, it's a Canadian show. It's not funny. Um, it's about uh, these uh, it's about babysitters are baby-sitter vampires. It's a vampire. It's three discs, thirteen season one episodes. I don't see this going anywhere. I, I don't even know if it got picked up for a second season. Actually,
0: speaking of, there's a new show on ABC Family, which I saw on a billboard today. Mm. Uh, it's called Bunheads. Oh,
1: I, I saw that billboard.
0: Seriously, what what is what, ABC Family? You're you're also owned by Disney. You have the picture of this nubile young girl with long flowing brown hair in cut off jeans shorts, g- sexualizing the hell out of the billboard. And then you you put the words "bun" and "head" in into the title, and all of that is supposed to constitute a family series. You know what? A that bun- is just so the whole thing, everything about it is just so suggestive. I couldn't believe it.
1: You know. What, do you know what a bun head wears? An ass hat.
0: There you go. Thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. You can email us at gods at digigods.com. Yes,
1: yeah, that's, that's, that's funny.
0: That's very funny. M- amusing beyond all comprehension. Uh, season six of The Universe on Blu-ray. This is a, a, you know, an increasingly kind of tedious show, I've got to admit. After six seasons, I, I'm kind of amazed that they're able to keep this going. This is uh, from History Channel HD, as originally seen on h 2 and um you know what I mean it's it's impressive the CGI is impressive it's very educational but do did they they really need 6 seasons to to kind of keep keep plumbing all of this stuff I don't know if you like it by all means go and add it to the collection but I just don't know that season 6 really adds anything other than uh, filling a time slot for them at this point uh, then we also have uh, Degrassi, which originally started off as Degrassi Junior High and Degrassi High School. Anyway, this is season 11, part one of Degrassi, which is all different kids, and I'm sure it's all different people by this point. Uh, this is from Echo Bridge, but the uh, the whole point of Degrassi continues to be the same, which is this is a primarily for public television dramatic show with uh, all kinds of very contemporary kids' issues at the center of every episode, and... Um, you know, they, they don't try to be overly commercial, overly exploitative. They just want to tackle the difficulty of growing up. And uh, that's what this show has been for years and years and years and years. And uh, this particular incarnation is going on season 11 now. and uh, or It's going on season 12. And uh, before that, it was on for a good seven or eight years. So this is this is like a whole generation of the Degrassi thing. I, I don't know how they keep it going, but they do. And it clearly has a following. So there it is.
1: Oh uh, wait! Uh, Drop Dead Diva is a show on Lifetime, and uh, it's it's you know what? It's, here's the thing: it's one of those shows that stars a woman who is not uh, the typical Hollywood definition of gorgeous. In fact, she's a little bit uh, plus sized. This kind of goes back to that you know those days when hiring a plus size a plus size lead was controversial. You know whether it's Roseanne. Or whether it was uh, Sarah Rue in Less Than Perfect*, right? Uh, you know, now you've got uh, *Drop Dead Diva*, which stars uh, Brooke Elliott and the, the Margaret Show, who I hate more than anything. God, she's so, oh, <laughs> so God, Margaret Show. You got to be kidding! Um, I, I, I'd, I'd rather cancel television than watch a show with Margaret Show. But um, you know, the the, the show it kind of limped along. It does have a. Four, it's been on for three seasons, and this is the um, this is the third season on uh, DVD. The fourth season uh, uh, premieres. Actually, it's already premiered. So uh, you know, people seem to be digging it. You know, it's just another legal show. It's kind of, it's one of those things where if you if you if you feel either attracted to or you empathize with plus size women trying to make it in the workplace, I, I do. Then, I'm a plus uh, size woman. Exactly. Then you might like Drop Dead Diva. It's just not really for me.
0: I've got three vintage series here, three classic series that uh, are a whole lot of fun, and uh, they're all totally different. We've got third season of Hazel with Shirley Booth. Oh, God. Uh, Are you lo- kidding me? I so love Hazel. Uh, uh, all Ms. right. Ms. Everybody Ms.
1: start watching the trailer for Les Mis for Ms. about two minutes while Wade talks about Hazel.
0: It's Mr. Baxter Hazel works for Mr. Baxton. That's great. It's great. Shirley Booth is the best. Weren't you hot for Shirley Booth growing up? Come on. Admit it.
1: Uh, I was hot for Shirley Booth like I was hot for Alice from The <laughs> Brady Bunch.
0: <laughs> anyway. There really
1: is no show that had like super hot domestic help. What's a sitcom that had super hot, smoking, hot, piping hot domestic help? Does genie count as domestic I, I help? I thought of Jeannie. I did. <laughs> I thought – but he, she, but they were married. Well,
0: eventually. eventually. But, I mean, she was his genie. Isn't that like – I mean, she does his bidding more than a maid would. She doesn't even ask to get paid. Right? Isn't she domestic help? I don't care. I mean, she, like, did all kinds – she, like, you know – Blink people to, into turn them into animals and all kinds of fun stuff. Y- you know what?
1: In the bedroom, you don't want to know what happened when she blinked. <laughs> oh, hee, hee, hee. I guarantee that was a very healthy sex life that they had.
0: Thirty-two original. In fact,
1: that's probably what killed him. And then uh, uh, there you go. And then ma- no, wait, wait, wait. Which is the show that had two Darrens?
0: That's uh, that's bewitched. Oh,
1: that joke went nowhere.
0: No, uh, third season of Hazel, thirty-two episodes. Back in the day when they actually were able to make thirty-two shows in a year, and they didn't have digital editing or anything or nonlinear editing. It's amazing. Uh, Shirley Booth is just uh, absolutely wonderful, and uh, people forget she was an Oscar winner. You know that. She won Best Supporting Actress for uh, Come Back Little Sheba, and uh, which is great. Burt Lancaster is so good in that movie. Uh, so anyway, uh, Don DeFore plays Mr. Baxter, and you know what? It is really one of the more charming sort of family sitcoms from the, uh, from the era. I still thoroughly enjoy this show. I think it's terrific. And uh, another great entry from Shot Factory. Then from the 70s, we've got SWAT, the final season, I I I always forget that Robert Urich was on SWAT. Just it's so cool watching it again. I mean, Steve Forrest, great. Mark Scherer, great. Mark Scherer, of course, before he went on to Barnaby Jones. Yeah. Uh, Funny how we keep track of all these people. But Robert, can
1: can you imagine a show like Barnaby Jones on a network today? Barnaby, Buddy Epson was like in his sixties or whatever it was when Barnaby. You know, he was the lead. That you know what? Like Matt Matlock is probably the last we'll ever see of an elderly gentleman. as the lead in a network show
0: yep. well anyway this is uh, Robert Urich is so young here and this of course was just before he went on to do Vegas and uh, this is the final season a little weaker obviously than uh, the preceding seasons and uh, it didn't run as long as it probably should have or could have but uh, nonetheless a very sharp show a real pioneering show on television that we all should uh, definitely pay attention to and then lastly the complete first season of a show that people have been craving for a very long time Maverick, James Garner uh, this is an awfully fun show and I am so thrilled that they're finally and, and mind you let's point out this is the complete first season altogether. no part one no part two the first season of Maverick absolutely sensational I used to watch this all the time when I was a kid and uh, this was James Garner at his very, very best, every bit as good as he was on The Rockford Files, maybe even better. Set in the Wild West, and of course, uh, you know, Bart Maverick is, uh, is a real Western rogue. And uh, the whole thing, this is one of those wonderful Western shows for television that does not cater to cliches. Everything about it is outside the box. And it really kind of tries to subvert those cliches. And it was the only one. Well, Gunsmoke and Bonanza and the Big Valley were all really catering to the cliches. Uh this was the one show that kind of upended everything. And that first season is such a joy, it's so refreshing. Jeff definitely check it out if you have time. It's a lot of fun.
1: Wait, uh true blood.
0: Oh, we're doing true true hang on. Before we, let they inc- see they included these fangs. So we, we you put a pair in and I put a pair in and we talk about true blood while we're wearing fangs. Got it? Good. Go. We're talking to do that? Yeah, yeah. Uh uh-huh. Uh uh-huh. uh-huh. yeah. Uh uh-huh i we talk about true blood-wing things. So true blood is okay. a
1: show that uh, has a whole lot of characters that you I can't sh-
0: really keep track of. No, I'm going to take them out. This shock. Okay. Lose them. Yeah, that's disgusting. That's probably ebola on them or something. Yeah, yeah.
1: Put them in, put, I'll put it in my pocket so it doesn't touch anything. <laughs> well, you put that in, put in? Go, go. You know what? There's a, there's a trash can in there. Throw in the trash can in there. Excuse me. I'll talk about true blood. Mm-hmm. Um you know, True Blood is a show that uh, has a whole lot of characters, and it obviously is trying to take advantage of the whole vampire thing. Uh, it was never really my cup of tea, though. people love it. It's become a big pop culture phenomenon. Got a lot of handsome guys on there that all the girls love. You know, this show was Alan Ball's follow-up to um, uh, Six Feet Under. And, you know, this fourth season and the fifth season, Alan Ball is still the showrunner. But, you know, for season six, Ball is gone. So uh, we're curious to see how the show is going to uh, develop without a ball at the helm but for now we have season four and uh, this is a terrific hbo set that has the blu-ray dvd and a digital copy uh, a lot of great uh, blu-ray features on this thing it looks terrific it sounds even better so when it comes to uh picture and audio you can't do much better than true blood season four when it comes to the uh the season itself you know obviously if you're a fan you're going to go for it to me uh you know i was never into the vampire thing i, I feel like i I kind of miss that train, wh- wh- whatever vampire thing you've, you're talking about, uh, with Twilight, whatever, I miss it all. But uh, people love this show, and it does look great. And it's very brooding, and it's very dark and very violent, which I like, because it, it does go there, at least from a, a violent standpoint, so I like that. But um, this is uh, just one of the great HBO shows, so check it out, uh, True Blood Season 4. Mm-hmm. Now, there's another show that is available on Blu-ray. This is a, a little thing called uh, Rookie Blue. Now, for me, I think after a while, oh, I've seen
0: this show. Huh? I've seen this show. It's okay.
1: This is. Uh, I haven't seen
0: too many episodes of it, but it's okay.
1: But you know what? There's something strange about this show, mm. and you know what's strange about it? Mm. Canadian. Oh, it is it Canadian? Go. It's another series. one. Of, not the, damn, I'm just Canadians. saying that's why it's weird. Yeah. It just feels like it's done in some alternate universe where people aren't quite American. Mm -hmm. Like it's not quite as slick It's not quite as uh, well written It's not quite as well rounded you know why?
0: Why? Canadian Yeah see There you go I'm just saying
1: Anyway uh, the show Which is on ABC uh, It's all about these uh, Five rookie cops And they've just graduated From the academy And they have to You know learn on the streets You know what There was a show In the 70s Called The Rookies Mm -hmm. The Rookies Better
0: Yeah well there you go
1: So this is the second season Of Rookie Blue It limped along In it's first season Did uh, good not great And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, cop shows are a dime a dozen. So either you like these characters or you don't. To me, I feel like, you know, uh, it feels like Grey's Anatomy in a a police station. Just another one of those ensemble things where there's a whole lot of hot people, you know, hooking up and talking dramatic. And I just it's just not my thing. Anyway, um, new episodes of this are uh, on Thursdays on ABC. If you're interested, otherwise, uh, the Blu-ray is passable possible
0: you know acorn has come out with a something that i had even forgotten existed and it's, it's really a surprising kind of it's it the timeliness of this i'm not sure if it's if it's good choice or a bad choice uh on their part uh but anyway it's washington behind closed doors from 1977 this was a television miniseries that was essentially a uh, a very thinly veiled fictionalization of the nixon the last days of the nixon white house and uh, that's not surprising because it's based on a novel called The Company, which was written by John Ehrlichman, who, of course, was a, a one of Nixon's uh, Watergate advisors and who did time in prison. And uh, it's, uh, it stars Jason Robards as, well, President Richard Monckton. I mean, could you at least have changed the first name? Maybe given the second name, you know, not two syllables.
1: Not uh, Robert. How about Richard Naxon?
0: Yeah, there you go. Uh, anyway, it's it's it, everything about this. If you remember the Nixon administration, this is just um, this is almost exactly beat for beat ex- what was going on. So it's uh, it's not so much a novel as it is a a, uh, a dramatization of perhaps real life as Ehrlichman lived it and, and tried to disguise it not very well. Stephanie Powers, Cliff Robertson. Um, Robert Vaughn, Andy Griffith, John Hausman. I mean, it's an amazing all-star cast, and it feels a lot like the West Wing before there was a West Wing. Uh, Definitely worth checking out, uh, given all of the political machinations in the country right now. I'm not sure that it feels timely or dated. It feels a little bit of both, depending on how you look at it, Uh, but it's interesting. And then uh, we also have Falling Skies, another uh, TNT show that is uh, booting up again. And they, of course, are getting the first season out there on uh, DVD. So you you get your appetite wet for the second season as it starts up. Um, Falling Skies, they've been advertising like mad. This is an alien invasion show produced by Steven Spielberg. And uh, the whole thing is just feels very, very... High production value, but like we've been there before. Everybody's on the run, running from the aliens. Uh, Basically, as long as the show's on the air, they're never going to beat the aliens. They're just going to be fighting aliens every week. So it tends to get a little bit repetitive. They're doing a better – around the end of the first season, they do a better job of kind of getting things more character-centric and and making it uh, feel a little bit more like there's momentum, a little bit of narrative – Shape to it, but it—I uh, don't know. We'll see what the uh, what the second season brings. I uh, I'm impressed by the technology of it. I'm not quite so impressed by the uh, by how well thought out it is.
1: Wade, there's a uh, show, Wade, because that's what we talk about. We talk I know. about uh, TVs and, uh, yeah. and uh, TV shows and movies. There's a show um, called Lex and. Lex with two X's. With two X's is a very strange show. It is incredibly cult, and Echo Bridge has just released the complete second season of Lex. And there's a reason why this show is just a notch below everything else like it. You know what that reason is, Wade?
0: What's that reason? Canadian. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's a theme <laughs> on today's show.
1: <laughs> it is. It's like this Canadian German co-production, and it's just it's just this bizarre show about these people who are like kind of fugitives from this from this political upheaval and they wind up controlling this starship that looks like an insect like a genetically modified insect and they they've been flying around for four seasons i don't know if this show it it, it seems funny to me but cuz it's like can,
0: typical canadian show
1: it, there's like a sex slave in it oh, and there's Oh, I'm, I'm all for a sex slave. I'm just saying, yeah. there's a sex slave in it, and uh, the captain's crazy. Just, I just don't get it. it it's a bit like Battlestar Battle Galactica because it's, uh, you know, because the, the the members of this ship, which is called the Lex, they're very um, they live sort of this like this like nomadic life, you know, mm-hmm. where they just sort of float around. But um, it's definitely unique, and I will give it that. And uh, sci fi guys who love, or gals who love uh, Battlestar Galactica, or, or maybe Doctor Who, they may be intellects. You know, you just don't know. I wish it was on Blu ray. It's just on DVD. Uh,
0: I have in my hands. Uh, Curb James. Your Enthusiasm, the complete eighth season. I can't believe this show's been on for eight seasons. Uh, here's, here's what there is to enjoy about this show. Great guest stars this season, including your best friend Rosie O'Donnell. Mark loves Rosie O'Donnell. Wanda Sykes. Um, Michael J. Fox shows up in a, a terrific uh, supporting turn. That's, that's a lot of fun. Larry Miller I always enjoy. Uh, Mookie Wilson, as if anyone remembers. Mookie Wilson. Wilson. I know. Mookie right.
1: Wilson, the 86 New York Mets. By the I way, know. Johan Santana pitched a no-hitter. So Johan Santana pitched the very first no-hitter in the history of the Mets. Mm-hmm. Right? Our 51st season. And when it happened, yeah, got emotional. I there did. you go. I shed a tear. And not only that, because I was watching, uh, listening to the game on the radio with my MLB app in my car when I got home. I uh, took a picture of my... Uh, I have a, a framed photograph of my uncle and my grandfather, the two people responsible for making me a Met fan and fading me to a lifetime of, uh, of, of tragedy and woe. <laughs> I took the framed photograph of my uncle and my grandfather. I put it into my TV room, so they were facing the TV, and then I turned on the MLB app on my TV, and we all together watched the last half inning.
0: Awesome. Totally. I'm finishing the chocolate. Well, anyway...
1: Um I didn't say he could finish that. Oh, there's, yes a,
0: there's a trip to New York here. Well, Larry would be completely overwhelmed by the trip to New York. Very funny. Very, very, very funny stuff. You even get that um, mayor who now wants to ban sugary drinks over a he, certain no, size. No, he's
1: not banning. He's banning sugar.
0: You know over what, a it, certain size.
1: Okay, if you want a 48-ounce Coke, then go get yourself a, you know, three 16-ounce Cokes. Shut the hell up.
0: So weird. Anyway, uh, Leon's Guided to uh, New York City, very fun, very funny, and then a really great roundtable that was um, recorded at uh, the 92nd Street Y, which is uh, a great extra. So anyway, the eighth season of Curb Your Enthusiasm, pretty terrific, really, the show still works.
1: Speaking of a show that still works, uh, Breaking Bad, complete fourth season. This is on AMC, airs Sunday. This is a uh, show that everybody absolutely loves. This shows that Brian Cranston is having his moment. He can't yep. kind of do anything. Yep. and I have to say, after four seasons, uh, the show has really only lost about uh, I would say ten to fifteen percent of its power. Obviously, it's not new anymore; it's not like the new thing. But still, they're still doing what they can. Walter's doing what he can. Jesse doing what he can. You know, the wife, the brother-in-law, the agent. You know, still making it happen. So it's a Blu-ray. The sh- uh, the show at times can be very inventively shot. So the Blu-ray just does it does that lot of justice. The episodes, the there's five of the episodes that are uncensored, deleted scenes, gag reel, uh, commentaries, featurettes. This is a terrific Blu-ray of a terrific show that everybody loves, Breaking Bad, season four. Wade, not Yay. three, not five.
0: Love it. I like Bryan Cranston. He's uh, he's fighting the good fight with that theater that he owns, that independent theater. Have you kept up with that? No. It's an interesting case. You made that up. No, seriously. They're like, I'll tell you more about it afterwards. It's
1: oh no a... no the audience wants to hear that way. No, tell no, us no, it's, all about. uh
0: well, they're 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 fighting over a, what? Oh, they're they're fighting over uh, the the tactics that the studio sometimes use to control whether or not films get booked into independent theaters. Got it. And he owns an independent theater, and they're they're they've taken it to court. I forget where it is in court, but anyway, season one of Fairly Legal is a USA show that, like Mark was talking about earlier with uh, with the uh, the other show, uh, it's another legal show. <laughs> they're all they're all kind of the same on a yeah, certain but, level. Yeah, d- but this woman's hot. She is that's the only reason you'd want to watch this is because uh she's she's just a scorching hot brunette and uh there you go uh Sarah Shahi uh formerly of the L word uh, is a mediator, and uh, she's, you know, the only reason to watch this show, and uh, otherwise it's just same, more of the same old kind of legalistic stuff. But if you like her, by all means check it out. I'm curious to see how the uh, the new season does, if this thing lasts the second season. feels a little bit thin, like it's kind of uh, on its last legs, so to speak. Uh, also, Pretty Little Liars, the complete second season this is an ABC Family series, and uh, to me this still feels like a wannabe kind of tweener version of Desperate Housewives. I, I just don't, I really don't quite get the appeal, but I'm not the right age. I totally admit that. I'm the wrong gender and the wrong age, so there's no point in me talking about it. But uh, it is out, second season of Pretty Little Liars, and uh, the new series starts uh, shortly, if not already.
1: Wade, uh, there's, a very, uh, there's a very unique, strange, unusual, goofy, crazy show that was in the, came out in the late 80s. Mm -hmm. And because you've seen all these shows, you've probably seen this. Rags to Riches.
0: I I barely remember this show.
1: Now, Rags to Riches. Barely. I I guess it's sort of the glee of the uh, late 80s. Yeah. And Joe Bologna, who I love. uh, Joe Bologna stars. I love him on, like,
0: uh, Rye with Mayo. (sighs)
1: Good night, everyone. Um, Joe Bologna plays a – he's like this uh, super handsome playboy guy, and he decides uh, for business purposes only – to adopt five orphan girls, including, by the way, Tisha Campbell, uh, to adopt five orphan girls. And it's all about his adventures with these five orphan girls. Now, I think the reason why this took so long to come out on DVD is because, A, no one's ever heard of it, and, uh, B, each episode uh, featured songs from from the 80s, from the era. And the song was usually incorporated into the plot, like the girls were you know, going to perform at a talent show or something. And I would imagine... It probably took them a long time uh, to negotiate the uh, rights to use the songs, so I would imagine that's what took Rags to Riches long to come out on DVD. But uh, it is now out the complete series uh, for those for those Bill Maher completists out there, and you know who you are. He does uh, guest star in one of the episodes, as does Dick Van Patten, Richard Grieco, Danny Barducci, and Alex Rocco. Nice. Rags to Riches, uh, not a great show, but it's definitely cheesy. The music definitely makes it like Uber. Uber, cheese ball, birthday party, put it on DVD, and put it on repeat cheesy. Mm. Uh, reacts to riches.
0: Bravo. And our very last television entry. Finally. We got so know. many good movies. I know. We got a lot of good movies. We're going to get to them right after the uh, Lister Mail and the Vox Box. Uh, this is Disney's Phineas and Ferb, The Perry Files. And, uh, you know, Phineas and Ferb is... It's just, you know, I I have this week, for some reason, I have run into so many kids that are nuts for Phineas and Ferb. I don't know why. Very peculiar. Uh, But anyway, this is, um, you know, strictly for Phineas and Ferb fans. Because the only Phineas and Ferb fans will even remotely understand the cover of this. The cover the cover it's art. Cool. It's cool, but it's totally cryptic. Like, you would look at that and you'd go, it's all turquoise and it looks like the eyes and beak of a bird, and I have absolutely no idea what that refers to. Uh, if you know what organization without a cool acronym is, OWCA, then you understand this. Uh, in point of fact, Perry the Platypus is Agent P., as in the Perry Files, and that's what this is all about. It is, um, you know what, just, it's impossible to describe. All you got to know is there are seven episodes here and some fairly cool bonus features that only your children will enjoy. And uh, that's, uh, there it is. So, Mark, listener mail. Okay.
1: It is your job to retrieve and read the listener mail. It is my job to respond to it. Very good.
0: Listener mail. This is from Chevelle Dixon, who also provides this week's Vox Box. When we get to it, said, uh, when you guys were having a complete meltdown talking about the director Steve McQueen, you recommended Shame. I saw it, while uh, I saw it, and while it's a difficult film to watch, it is also rewarding. Michael Fassbender was amazing, and it's a shame, no pun intended, he was not nominated for an Oscar. I hope he continues to do great films, and McQueen looks like a director to watch. Indeed, uh, Fassbender is also in Prometheus. Mark, quickly, what do you think of him in Prometheus? Uh,
1: he was fine. He played a guy who says things he played a robot don't give it away Well, it's not like it's I a said secret. he played a guy who says things is i didn't want to give it away
0: oh yeah like like like, like the first scene of the film doesn't no, give it away no you
1: you made fun of somebody on, no somebody made fun of somebody on facebook on the digi facebook page yes. Because somebody on the Digicod Facebook page like six weeks ago said, here's a, tr- here's a new spot that shows that Michael Fassbender is a robot. And people on Facebook were like, why did you say that? I didn't know anything about it. Don't give that away.
0: It's like the most – they established that in the first frame of the film. Come on. But people haven't seen the film. Well, yeah, but once you do, it's not like that's a big revelation. There's other things about him I won't reveal. Anyway, uh, we also got an email from Kyle Stevens who said, I must disagree with Mark's assessment of TVs with 240 gigahertz, uh, 240 hertz looking like a, uh, and I quote, Mexican soap opera. When done correctly, 240 hertz is outstanding. I have, to 50, I have a 56-inch Samsung. Uh, And I love it. The best argument I have is The Dark Knight, specifically the scenes shot in IMAX on Blu-ray. Watch the scene in The Dark Knight when Lucius Fox, Morgan Freeman, arrives in China. The shots of Hong Kong, the helicopter landing pad, and the building lobby are simply breathtaking in clarity and scale. I realize this is extremely specific, but under those conditions, this scene, you will see the absolute pinnacle of home motion picture viewing. Uh, I feel if Hollywood focused on IMAX, Blu-ray, 240 hertz, as much as they did 3D, they would be far more successful.
1: Well, I have to say that I do agree about the IMAX. The, uh, I, you know, I have not seen... We're not
0: criticizing the clarity. We're just tell- criticizing that it does not necessarily serve storytelling because it does not give you the detachment necessary for drama to work. That is correct. Yeah.
1: I mean, I can make an amazing film and shoot it on, you know, my iPhone or shoot it on a camcorder. Yep. But ultimately, 35-millimeter film projected at 24 frames on a movie screen is the best way to experience a film. Which, and by the way, I, I, I like IMAX. I think it's terrific. The, the, the scenes in Batman with IMAX are great. I would imagine that in 240, it's like looking through a window. But again, as Wade says, generally speaking, overall, or as I think uh, Huckleberry Finn said, take it all around, I would have to say that I'm not a fan of 240 or 260. Uh, I
0: am inclined to or agree. What, whatever the heck it is. Two million. And then Jason Vargo writes, All right, I'm going to take a stab at defending the vow. Mind you, I know it's not a good movie, but the first half is a world better than the second half. There's something about the whole subplot about the dad cheating and that being brought in in that rubs me the wrong way. Plus, the movie was dishonest with the way that it actually ends. Um, Sure, it was based on a true story, blah, 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 but the story needed to have the couple split at the end. All that being said, I totally understand the loud laugh you're going to have about this, but Channing Tatum in his little hipster hat running around in water in his underwear, totally worth the $6 I spent to see it in theater. I know. I'm totally transparent. Mark?
1: You know, I have a problem with films that say they're based on a true story. Somehow, in, somehow the marketing people think that any film where they, they throw "based on a true it doesn't matter how far removed the movie actually is. From the true story. Like, do you really think that the vow is actually beat for beat, note for note, based on the experience of, of these two people? You, we are so far removed. I mean, literally, when they say the vow is based on a true story, it, it means that two people were once married.
0: All that matters is that there was a vow. That's that, all. That's, that's really – that's the only part that's true. actually true.
1: The rest is just – I just – you know what? I guess it makes people think it's topical. You know, uh, it's just, it just makes no sense to me.
0: And then if, uh, this is actually a really, really good question from longtime listener Eric Altieri. He said, I've been looking at a disc repair products and found things like Skip Doctor and the AlterTech or Aleratech disc repair kit. But I've also read that there are alternative methods such as wax, rain and toothpaste. What would you suggest for fixing scratched discs? Uh, you know, I wrote an article years ago about this. And uh, I, I've, I've got to say, the um, it totally depends on the problem that you face. The, um the electrical skip doctor system is really good for fixing damaged disks, but you've got to learn how to use it, and that's not easy. You could screw up a lot of stuff if you haven't mastered the technique. It doesn't sort of do it automatically and, and you know, brain, brain you can't just sort of be brainlessly do it and have it work. Um, if your disk is totally thrashed, you're never going to repair it. If it's a little bit scratched or a little bit kind of buffed up or whatever, use just some isopropyl alcohol and uh, polish it off with a microfiber cloth and some distilled water, and you'll probably be fine. Otherwise, there are these generic kits like uh, what Maxell makes and, and Scotch and 3M, which sort of they have like a little bit of paste and they they can sort of fill in the uh, the scratches. That's fine. Don't use toothpaste. Um, but there, were, years toothpaste ago, isn't abrasive. It'll, it, it's not a good thing to use. I, I think that's that's not a good thing.
1: Years ago, there was a uh, there was a YouTube not a YouTube article. It, was, it floated around the internet. Yeah. By the way, I bet this winds up being true that yeah. you can fix a scratched CD or DVD with a
0: banana. With a banana. Yes. That sounds like a like a Groucho Marx joke.
1: You literally you take a banana and you peel it and then you put the banana you you sort of wipe the banana onto
0: the cd the banana or the banana peel no no
1: and then you wipe it down with the banana peel
0: that's interesting
1: and then you take a clean you take a cotton cloth and then you wipe all the banana residue off it and that supposedly helps. Somebody should uh, uh, Google that. I am. That's the first. I'm I've not ever kidding. Heard. It's, yeah. uh, it's a. It's uh, a banana.
0: As for Rainx, you know what? Uh, use it at your own risk. Rainx is for cars. Uh, it's not for uh, not for discs. But I have heard both horror stories and success stories. So that's one I cannot speak to. Anyway, uh, you can email us at, gods at digigods.com, Your uh, listener mail or your Vox box. And Mark, it is now time for what? It's it's my turn. Yes. <laughs> Hi, Mark and Wade, it's Cheval Dixon. I have one question. Uh, Steven Spielberg's next big film, Lincoln, comes out this year. Do you guys think this will be his comeback film? Because the only film of his I've really enjoyed was Munich, and that was seven years ago. And I really hated Indian Jones and The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And I haven't seen Warhorse and Tintin, but according to your guys' kind of review, it was. I'm not missing much. So could Lincoln be his comeback film? Or will it take his next film, Apocalypse, next year to do that? Thank you. Uh, I will start off on this. I, I, I have kind of written Spielberg off as ever again making a really decent film because years ago when he, after he won uh, Schindler and then... Uh, Best director for Private Ryan, he said something to the effect of, I've accomplished everything I want to accomplish. Now all that I need to do is just keep myself interested. And I thought at that moment, you know what? You're no longer hungry. The, the, the fever no longer burns. You, you're no longer driven like a lot of filmmakers are their whole lives long. And it just feels to me like he's just kind of going through the motions. And War Horse felt like that. Tintin felt like that. I don't know. I, I don't have high hopes for Lincoln. I almost have more high hopes for uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter.
1: Ooh, I want to see that. I really do. Uh, The thing with Spielberg is that that it's it's true. Now, when he when he does a film like Lincoln, it it will be over the top melodramatic. Yeah, just like War Horse was. You know, he can no longer sort of modulate his emotions. He's just everything's got to be big.
0: I don't feel like he's doing it because he cares about it. I feel like he's doing it because he feels like that's what's going to win him another Oscar. It just doesn't feel genuine. It doesn't feel sincere. It doesn't feel like a passion project. I mean, I'm sure there, that at some point, maybe when he gets older, he'll, there'll be another passion project. But I don't feel like he's really picking his projects based on stuff that he's just over the rainbow mad about. I feel like he's just pick, picking them based on what he feels like he should be making at this point in his career. Well,
1: I would have higher hopes for robo Apocalypse only because it sounds like, for him at least, it's just going to be a blast to do. So maybe that's you know as opposed to Lincoln where he feels like I have to make a statement and win an Oscar now. You know, I thought uh, Minority Report was terrific. Uh War of the Worlds uh, disappointing, but I just think with Robo Apocalypse it's easier for him to say this is going to be a whole lot of fun and just go with that as opposed to having him say I want to win another Oscar and just turn up just the just the melodrama to 11, which is what he's going to do in, in Lincoln, yeah, I'm sure. That's true. Yeah. You know, but I think Robo might be good.
0: Well, thank you, Chevelle, and uh, anybody else wants to send us a Voxbox, do so again at Godsdigigods.com and uh, try not to use some uh, crazy, obscure audio format that uh, is not known to mankind. We can read most everything, but every once in a while somebody will send us something in a format where uh, we just scratch our heads and we wonder if it was developed on Mars. So uh, there Speaking many of of Mars.: those. Yeah: Yeah, I know, Speaking of good grief.
1: John Carter is uh, available on. Uh, well, you know what? Actually, there's a. It's a.
0: It's a four disc set, which means that there's only one you'll actually ever watch. This is one of two 3D Blu-rays that we're going to talk about, and uh, I just this this movie. You know, I don't think this movie is as bad as everyone. It really else isn't. Said. I mean, it's, it's not very good, but it's no. it's
1: not it's not uh, it's not the horrible abortion of all time.
0: No, it's just it's just that they spent way too much money on it.
1: That's the thing. See what? But it's like if this movie costs you know sixty million dollars, it, it it would suddenly be a hit. Yeah. You know. True. But you spend you know 300 million dollars making it and marketing it that it More than that. it has to be an enormous enormous global behemoth of a monster in order yeah. to make its money back you you are you are setting it up to fail yep. automatically mm-hmm. so it's not that the film is bad because it is pretty it's it is vaguely bad but it's uh it's this is just how studios make films nowadays that's just it just they they just they put everything on black that's it that's how they make a film they put everything on black sometimes it works like avengers and Sometimes it's not most of the time. It doesn't work. You know, Disney took a two hundred million dollar write down on this film. I they know. just wanted they just wanted to get it off their books as quickly as possible. So, so the it,
0: Avengers could impact the next quarter, yes, and make things look all good again. That's right. Yep.
1: So uh, does the uh, does this Blu-ray look good? You know, it looks awfully, awfully good. It looks great. Oh,
0: it, it's because most of the movie has never lived in the analog world. It's <laughs> yeah. not real. It's That's, all CGI. It is all it's CGI. It's pristine. But you
1: know the colors are warm and uh, and just de- and there's the, the the detail is great. The contrast
0: just, is great. I just don't find him very interesting. Well, and not in this. Not, and and look, let's be serious. What's his name? Does uh, anyone
1: know his name? Uh, Taylor uh, Sam Worthington?
0: No, <laughs> no. He's th- what's his name? Kitch? No. What's his name? Don't even Kitch? know his name. Taylor Kitch. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, who knows him? <laughs> He literally has starred in the two biggest bombs of the year. That should be career suicide. I know. Poor and guy. And no one even realizes that. Nobody who sees Battleship realizes, oh, yeah, that's that, that guy, that nameless guy whose name I don't know who was also in John Carter. But like, no thing, one even, That doesn't even
1: dawn on them. Yeah, but here's the thing. Ultimately, is it – He's, the, he's is, the new Sam Worthington. Is it a bad performance or is it bad casting? I don't know that Taylor Kitsch ever was – is enough of an actor to
0: actually pull off a $300 million film. He's not. He's so it's really,
1: it's really – it's a function of bad casting.
0: And is it, he's got – is it Savages, the, the, the Oliver Stone film that he's also in? I was out? Well,
1: that, that'll be better.
0: Yeah, well, anyway.
1: But no, this uh, – so really when you look at someone like Taylor Kitsch, I, I really feel bad for him only because he gets hired for it, does the best he can. Ultimately, he was not the guy to do it. Not his fault. I would take that part too. But it's really Andrew Stanton who's got a – who is making his first live-action film and has to be able to say, this guy is not going to carry a film this gigantic. And the woman who plays Deja Thoris, who I would like to see in other things, uh, she was feisty, and uh, she was pretty and, uh, and smart. I like that stuff. Ultimately, she didn't really do it for me either, and I, the, the plotting was a little bit convoluted. Uh, right from, you know, I, I, it's very hard for me to accept films that right from the start uh, you know, have a narration that explains the entire universe we're about to live in in like three lines. Yeah, and I'm never a fan of that stuff. Anyway, John Carter, uh, you know, it's a bad film. It's not a horrible film, but um, I just think ultimately, it just it should have cost 100. It should have cost 125 million dollars, and uh, they should have had one decent name in it. Yep, that worked internationally. I agree. You know, so maybe at least internationally would do well. Now, what's funny with this is that you know. I can't remember if this opened... I think this opened day and day, didn't it? Did did this
0: open day and day? It did, worldwide.
1: You are not going to see that again. Everything's going to open internationally first. Yeah. You know, like... Like
0: Like Battleship. Like
1: Battleship. And, you know, the reason that opened internationally Which would have been
0: a much bigger bomb if it hadn't have just squeezed a few bucks out internationally before the bad word of mouth got around. You
1: know what? I, I would imagine, you know, it... And Wade, maybe you've heard something different. I would imagine it probably tra- it was probably tracking poorly yeah. domestically. Mm-hmm. And they're like, let's get it out internationally first.
0: Absolutely. The other one we have here, the other 3D uh, nightmare, is Journey to the Mysterious Island 3D. Now, that's a, a weird little play on words because it's Journey to, number two, numeral two, meaning the second in the series, Journey to the Center of the Earth being the first one with Brendan Fraser, that was actually... I have to say intermittently interesting in the use of 3D like when the creepy fish jumped out of the water I kind of jumped that's the only time 3D works for me when it's the it's the poke you in the eye effect
1: you hate that stuff no I do but but in cheesy cheesy
0: movies in cheesy movies movies, I'll accept it
1: if it's Piranha 3D then that's fine I get that If, if it's coming at you remember coming at
0: you and there's some of that in this but it's still a bad movie um, but it would You know They need more of it Actually frankly And this time Brendan, uh, Brendan Fraser is gone And the rock is uh, Taking his place And they've tried to Sort of reinvent The whole thing So it's Journey 2 But also Journey 2 is in T.O. The Mysterious Island In 3D This also has a Lenticular cover uh, Like uh, John Carter does And it's Wait, a combo about pack the
1: movie Did you like the movie Don't no, we'll talk about it's the stupid. cover we'll Don't talk about the title It's stupid okay, It's fine. stupid
0: Just telling people how to recognize it on the shelf, you know. It's oh, it's got ultraviolet on it too. Woo. Um, Anyway, it uh, you know it's just Josh Hutcherson is is back in this. He's a little bit older. He's the only one who connects this to Journey to the Center of the Earth, and uh, otherwise you you got The Rock, aka Dwayne Johnson, who is now playing his stepfather as opposed to. uh, his father, and it's just uh, whatever you know. Lots of lots of CGI creatures and uh, and boo stuff, and uh, then you know Dwayne Johnson to semi legitimize it. Um, but you know, apparently they didn't spend an enormous amount on this. Uh, it wasn't a, a considered a just horrendous failure as a result, but um, you know, not uh, any kind of great success. And then we also have this thing called Act of Vengeance on Blu-ray, which is uh, with Gina Gershon, and Robert Patrick and Danny Glover and straight to DVD. This is from Millennium Entertainment, and it is uh, not a very good film. It wants to be a high-profile thriller, but basically this is a Turkish movie in English with Eng- American actors. It's uh, from a director I've never heard of named Mazun Kirmizigul, and uh, he's okay. Uh, apparently he's got something of a pedigree in Turkey. This is about Turkish agents following some super terrorist to New York where they have to work with American law enforcement and government agents to try and capture him. And uh, I love Gina Gershon. Uh, Danny Glover is starting to wear thin on me. I- I've seen him in way too many movies. And Robert Patrick, is, you know, since Terminator 2, has not really done a whole lot for me. So, um, you know, not a very good movie. But uh, if you're into the genre, I suppose it might be a worthwhile rental or a stream just to check it out. But on Blu-ray, not that spectacular. Must say, not that spectacular.
1: Uh, Wade's Safe House is on uh, Blu-ray, and uh, this star is Denzel Washington, who's my like my all-time favorite actor. I love Denzel Washington. I will see him in anything. This
0: was, this was a weird,
1: and it was a weird movie. And it also stars Ryan Reynolds, who I'm not a big fan of. Um, it's uh, Ryan Reynolds plays a um, he's like a junior, you know, he's like a junior CIA kind of spy guy and into his little safe house comes Denzel Washington, one of the you know, CIA's most wanted traitors, and the two of them go on the run together, and what um, I liked more of this movie than I thought I would, I think what I missed really in it was the script I felt should have been much more of a teacher-mentor sort of a dynamic between uh, Denzel and Ryan Reynolds, and they never really mind that for as much as they should have, but there are some terrific um, uh, street scenes, you know, street uh, driving scenes, some good action. Uh, Denzel's great. I love Denzel Washington. And uh, this is a good-looking Blu-ray. It sounds great. There's a bunch of bonus features that are fine. Ultimately, this film is probably 70, 70% of what it should have been. But I guess that's better than nothing is yeah. Safe House. Wade. Yes. Is what I say
0: okay. about Safe House. It just sounds lame to me. Uh, Franco Nero starred in. Uh, a Django! Lot of, he starred in Di Django. And uh, speaking of Di Django, the uh, Tarantino Di Django Unchained, which has nothing to do with the original Franco Nero Di Django series from uh, Spaghetti Western Heyday. Uh, apparently is massively over budget and over schedule or substantially over budget and over schedule. Anyway, uh, that being said, Franco Nero also starred in Kioma, another Spaghetti Western classic, which along with Lee Van Cleef in The Grand Duel is out as a Spaghetti Western double feature on Blu-ray from Mill Creek. Um, this is one of those uh, quickly spin them out Blu-rays from Mill Creek where, uh, you know, you, yeah, you get 1080 but don't expect it to be brilliant 1080. The, the the transfer monkey pretty much threw the switch and went and had lunch, and that's how they look. The elements that they transferred them from are also not great elements, so uh, it's not like these are pristine, beautifully restored films that are just going to pop on Blu-ray like uh, like they were just minted yesterday. No, not at all. The movies themselves, they're okay. Kioma is not a great spaghetti western, but it's uh, totally passable. This is from 1976, sort of... Um, You know, I I guess closer to skewing toward the end of the uh, Spaghetti Western heyday, they didn't really keep making them with gusto thereafter. Um, A lot of people consider this one of the great classics of the genre. I'm not among them. Uh, The Grand Duel, I think the only great thing about this is Lee Van Cleef, who I think is a a terrific actor. Uh, The director of this film was uh, an assistant director for Leone, and a lot of it really looks very Leone-like. Um, he borrows some of the camera angles and some of his uh, editing techniques and certainly, you know, goes for some of the same musical punctuation. It's passable, not brilliant. So both of these are, you know, middling, I guess, as a double feature. You can't go wrong. This thing probably retails for like 6 or $7. So, you know, if you love Spaghetti Westerns, it, certainly that's next to nothing to pay for them.
1: Wait, why, why are you having me talk about these? We have all of those. Well, uh um, on top. That, oh, come on. We have like five minutes left. Do you, you sure yeah. you can talk about yeah, – uh, right.
0: Well, because Hatfields and McCoys, you know. It's what? The, the, it's not the, 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 the Costner thing that, on that's television. That's not what this is. I know, but it's like people should know that, that well, this was made – Why do we
1: talk about the movie okay. that finally won Julia Roberts an Oscar and the other movie that won the Oscar for Best Picture?
0: Okay. So real quickly, Hatfields and McCoys, Bad Blood, uh, starring uh, Christian Slater and Perry King and Jeff Fahey, is, is out on uh, DVD. And it's not to be confused with the uh, very successful Costner miniseries on uh, History Channel. Hatfields and McCoy. I am among those that doesn't think the story is all that interesting to begin with, and uh, certainly the Costner film or the Costner miniseries is way, way better. Uh, Christian Slater should not be doing stuff like this. Uh, produced, written, and directed by Fred Olin Ray, who is really kind of a, a B-level exploitation film-ish uh, veteran, and it's serviceable, but uh, definitely stick with the the, the Costner one. Uh, this is out there if you're just a total nerd for the whole thing. How's that? Quickly done. Good. Done. Done and done. Right, done. And done. All right, Mark, we're going to we're going to find Yes. Find, we're going to dig into uh, some universal 100th anniversary releases. I uh, love
1: all are, these universal releases.
0: They're great. They they're doing a good job with the transfers too. Uh, there there are a few that, that felt like they just went back to previous where they were rele- where they're sort of double dipping them. They're just sort of they'd already been on Blu-ray and not very well and they just slapped the 100th anniversary logo on it in a repackage and it felt like, "Oh, great. Thank you." But i got to say, like, uh, Aaron Brockovich, this, um, th- this Blu-ray, DVD, digital copy combo disc uh, looks beautiful. really looks beautiful. I'm a big fan of Aaron Brockovich. This was, of course, made the same year that Soderbergh made uh, Traffic. And it was a big deal because uh, both films got heaps of Oscar nominations, and he won Best Director for Traffic, but Julia Roberts wound up winning Best Actress for Aaron Brockovich. It was one of those rare years where a director turns out two big films – that wind up both being real Oscar contenders. And uh, I think Aaron Brockovich wound up making considerably more money. But um, very commercial film. Albert Finney is great. The real Aaron Brockovich is not nearly as attractive as Julia Roberts, but she's not bad. And, uh, you know, this is, there, there's some really good direction in this film. If you want to know how good a director uh, Soderbergh can be with commercial material, watch this film because he doesn't necessarily feel obligated to use the camera to always point you in the right direction of what to look at. He will sometimes simply let the frame dictate that, let the actors dictate that. He really, he he has a lot of faith in the audience. And Aaron Brockovich, believe it or not, is a great example of a director who knows when everything in the scene is working and he doesn't need to just start editing and covering like mad to make sure that you get the information you need. Good example of it. Beautiful Blu-ray. Terrific.
1: Also terrific, uh, in fact, even better is the Universal's terrific, wonderful, must-buy, 100th anniversary collector's edition series of the Sting uh, the Sting is uh, the Oscar-winning uh, Best Picture of 1973, and it is part of the whole, uh, you know, Michael Julia Phillips run of films back then, including like Close Encounters, and uh, this film also. And I just love this movie. You already know what it's about. Paul Newman, Robert Redford. The um, video quality here is very, very good. I know that sometimes Universal puts a lot of uh, DNR on their Blu-rays; they really try to clean up the grain. And sometimes to a, to a fault, sometimes way too much. But here it's pretty good, and it's a clean picture. It's a very good picture. The audio quality is also very, very good. Uh, lots of uh, directional effects on the uh, audio without showing off. I kind of like that stuff. Dialogue, which sometimes can be muddy in films of this era. Uh, sounds great coming out of the center speakers. There is a whole, is uh, a, a, a good amount of extras on it, including a uh, documentary about an hour long on the making of the film. And uh, also, there's a booklet. So I very highly recommend you buy the uh, new Universal Blu ray edition of The Sting.
0: And also, lastly, from the uh, new Universal 100th anniversary releases is. Smoky and the Bandit. Yeah, uh, I guess yeah. So. You got to believe it. Blu-ray, DVD, digital copy combo. Um, there is some DNR here because this is not a classic cinematography film, so it's not that well shot to begin with. And in cleaning it up, they've cleaned it up a little, obviously in places. But still, you know what? You're not watching this film to go, "Wow, how dazzling the imagery." You're watching it because it's a lot of fun, and because he drives a Trans Am, because he's Burt Reynolds, and because it's got. Uh,
1: and he was asleep, yeah, Jackie Gleason man And Burt Reynolds Was sleeping with Sally Field Isn't that oh, bizarre it, it, Burt Reynolds Could have had Anybody he wanted At the, the time s- He was the man
0: And this is why The 70s ruled